0: The last page has been turned on my most recent read, and I'm currently enjoying a perfectly brewed, if not a little bit cold, cup of tea. I'm not quite sure how it's happened, I really don't know at all, but we're into the last week of December already. My advent calendar is nearly finished, that means no more daily chocolate, and the Christmas close down project at work will actually end on Wednesday, though we're not closing until Friday. In a week, you'll probably be sitting down feeling just a tad bloated and planning either your New Year's reading list if you're me, or what keep fit routine you're going to start. If you're anything like me when it comes to the keep fit side, the routine will be planned, started and abandoned by the second week of February. But hey, I'm being honest here, I'm particularly lazy. My Christmas presents are all wrapped and packed. The Yorkshire puds are baked and in the freezer. And I'm looking forward to a week off work. Well earned. (laughs) But I still have this week to get through. Is anyone else already on holiday? Or are they planning to leave work before Friday? If so, I am just a little bit jealous. Right now, I'm ready to tell you all about the book I've just finished. So here I am, no spoilers, opinion filled, And ready to roll, but I have got a guest. All of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and ex-coffee addict. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. This week I have a guest with me, And we're going to be talking about the first book in the Eisenhorn omnibus by Dan Abnett. No, you didn't mishear me. I read a book in the extensive Warhammer universe and it was my first one. So light a few candles or perhaps just switch on that reading lamp because of a bit of atmosphere is always a wonderful accompaniment to a reading session. And if you're Whether it's anything like mine right now, you'll need the light to see anything on the page. Get yourself a fresh cup of something hot, which I'm going to be doing in a minute, or a glass of something chilled, depending entirely on when you're listening and your preference. And let's get started. I'm here today with Dev, a husband of a friend of mine, and we are talking about a book series I had, A, never realized with a book series, and B, had never even considered reading. But it was recommended, so I thought, okay, go ahead. And I have a lot of questions because I finished the book and I'm confused.
1: (laughs) Well, I am very happy because uh, I always welcome an opportunity to talk about Warhammer and uh, this is pretty timely because today uh, we had that announcement that uh, Henry Cavill is working with Amazon on a Warhammer film.
0: I was actually going to ask you about that because a friend of mine said, haven't, oh, I just saw that Henry Cavill's got a new project already. Wasn't, he, wasn't there already a film about Warhammer? So I had to think back for a moment. And I said, no, that was World of Warcraft.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A common misconception, very different, uh, very different films. Uh, or settings, I should say.
0: Yeah, I'm not, so, I so, have to be honest, I'm not familiar with the setting of Warcraft either, so both new.
1: So tell me what you uh, what you made of the book, So, or, or do you want to introduce the book even? Yeah, uh, the book
0: sorry. I read was the first in the Eisenhorn omnibus, I believe it's called Xenos, by Dan Abnett, and it came out in 2001, which feels really old to me i mean 2001 is what it's 21 years ago and it feels very recent the book feels very recent in the way that it's written that i did get some minor sort of hits back to greek mythology religion and everything else with midas and a few other character names they felt very mythological in creation There was also that element of religious oversight. I don't know if I was misreading completely, but they were talking about (laughs) a book that had power and almost like witch hunts and things. If you were different, you were automatically hunted and considered an enemy of the state. Was I misreading or was I actually accurate?
1: No, you read that perfectly right. Uh, so it's interesting because there are often nods back to current day or even ancient history in Warhammer books, because the Warhammer universe is set in our universe, but in the 40th millennium. And so uh, there's often these kind of distorted uh, rememberings of ancient philosophy that to them is a lot more ancient um, and that's sort of often slightly misquoted or, or, or anything like that. And, uh, Warhammer 40,000 is heavily flavored by the events of the 30th millennium, the Horus heresy and, uh, <clears throat> sorry, I'm wondering how far to go into, uh, Warhammer <laughs> mythology That's here.
0: One of the things I, uh, I actually made notes on was the Pontius and when they first mentioned it, I thought, is it a thing? And then they were talking about it as though it was a person and they were It was almost like, this is (laughs) is holy. And all I could think was they've definitely got certain things mixed up with, because obviously Pontius Pilate was not someone considered great and nice. If you look at our mythology or our Bible and our Bible tales, but they were almost treating it as though it's a, it's a relic to be treasured. So it was like, (laughs) as you said, they got certain things mixed up.
1: Indeed. Um, so there's, yeah, there's a lot of kind of, uh, religious overtones in the 40K universe, and um, it really heavily contrasts with the 30K stuff um, because you have this character, the emperor, who you will have probably seen references to in there, in that the Inquisition are uh, essentially the direct arm of the, the emperor. They have his full authority, and the emperor is this figure uh, who it did exist in, in the 30K mythology, a uh, very so powerful chap who unified all of the human cultures across multiple planets and was driving a secular vision uh, for humanity. And uh, no, it's not really a spoiler because in 40K, you, you know it already, yeah. but he gets killed and, uh, and uh, well, his corpse is mostly on the, the golden throne, um, consuming a thousand people a day to uh, keep the astronomical lit. Anyway. That's going to sound like Greek to you. But um, what happened essentially in the wake of those events is he becomes deified and the ecclesiarchy, who are essentially the church of the emperor, um, come into power and the Inquisition, who for people who aren't familiar with the Warhammer universe, are sort of like the FBI of space, but imagine they can be judge, jury, and executioner Um, They have ultimate authority. They can destroy planets just because they say so, and none of that will be questioned. So uh, Eisenhorn is an inquisitor um, in one of the three branches, the uh, Xenos branch uh, that's specifically dedicated to dealing with um, threats to humanity um, of an alien nature for the most part.
0: Yeah, that, that particular bit doesn't... It's not really made clear that that is his designation or his role until the end of the book, so I'm guessing it comes in as something before the book that I read.
1: Uh, no, actually. So, well, yes and no. So uh, <laughs> interestingly, uh, the Eisenhorn books were the first Warhammer books I ever read, which is why I recommended them. Um, and yes, you start reading and you're sort of it all sort of assumes you know what's going on. and slowly, over time, you start to comprehend it. And he uh, accumulates his companions and stuff over the course of the books. And, uh, and you start to get familiar with it. But yes, essentially, Eisenhorn is uh, kind of a gumshoe, a private eye, but with ultimate authority to do anything he wants, including execute anyone he wants on the spot or destroy millions of lives. Um, and his job is to root out enemies of humanity who often take the form of cults Who are doing all kinds of occult and arcane things that could be devastatingly uh, lethal to billions of people across the universe, and he has to do whatever it takes to uh, stop them, uh, including lots of sneaky, you know, detective work.
0: That's one of the things I noticed about him was he was it wasn't as though he was a superhero or anything, but he was quite well-trained and almost superhuman in his abilities. And there's a mention of psychic powers and everything else. So I'm guessing that's something that's evolved over time. But then a lot of people don't like him. He's not exactly the most popular person on the planet at the same time.
1: No, there's a huge amount of politics in uh, in Warhammer 40k, Uh, between the Inquisitorial branches, between the Inquisition and the Ecclesiarchy and the Ministratum, who are essentially the bean counters of the Imperium. And uh, yes, he is a psyker and uh, a core concept in all of the Warhammer universes is simply that you have the universe uh, of real space as we know it, and then behind that uh, is a kind of mirror of all of the emotion uh, in in the world uh, and history called the warp. And uh, some of that is sentient, it, it, taking the form of demons who are kind of created by the first time someone murdered someone and, you know, some really ancient demons. And uh, the warp is kind of a really abstract concept, but they can travel through it. Uh, for faster than light travel and it's basically hell. Uh, it's full of okay. demons that will eat your soul. And that's what happens to everyone. You die, uh, you don't go to heaven. Your soul gets eaten by demons and, uh, they're all aware of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, here's your so, yes. Yeah. And so these heretics, uh, that are out there, these cults are, um, essentially trying to curry favor with some of the greater demons of the warp. And, uh, you know, Nurgle and Slaanesh and uh, Korin, who are all kind of different demons of uh, gods, I should say, of um, various things. And uh, they're trying to bring about their primacy in the real world.
0: I also noticed that there was mention of a uh, blank.
1: Yes. there was that, the, uh, the
0: girl that they have with them, she is a blank. And Eisenhorn seems to be not so much wary of her, but doesn't want to spend any time with her at all. Oh, she's a blank. Correct. I don't trust her. Is that because she isn't like them, or there's a the potential for her to be something different?
1: Yeah, blanks essentially are people with no soul. They are a blank, a, a blind spot in the warp. They are unaffected by psychic abilities and are kind of, if you imagine magnets, psychers are a positive, and uh, uh, blanks are kind of the same, you know, so they they uh he he's very sensitive to psychic uh you know disturbances in the warp and she has none. So uh being around her is distinctly uncomfortable for him. And uh so yeah they're they're generally not liked by anyone. Their their presence is typically perceived as negative.
0: So in a way she's kind of like him because he's considered to be Oh, no, we don't want you around. (laughs) Yeah. And she's considered the same by him. So (sighs) it's almost the enemy of my enemy is my friend.
1: Yeah, kind of. Inquisitors pick up companions along their travels um, and from all walks of life. And Beckwin is one such. And uh, the way she takes it, I mean, I believe in this, she'd sort of become a prostitute and had sort of resorted to all kinds of... uh, you know, ways to get by because she'd been rejected in society and it was only when Eisenhorn explains to her, this is why that she understands uh, the reasons that she'd had a very hard time in life and uh, and then decides to start embracing it. But uh, as a blank, she can shield people from uh, demons and things who can't use their uh, psychic abilities uh, to harm them.
0: Which would have been kind of useful when Eisenhorn was being tortured
1: yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> like,
0: you've got this power you could have used it but you didn't know
1: <laughs> yeah uh I'd, i mean are you going to read the other books i, I don't i will i will i
0: actually started reading the next one i'm I have to be honest i have got so many books that i need to read for other things that i'm like i will read these afterwards it's like i'm also a third of the way through the second in the um in in one of the series by Brandon Sanderson so it's kind of like when I when I can read for pleasure I will read those ones well I would say they're not the books that I'm reading aren't not for pleasure but therefore um I have deadlines on them so it's kind of like no, no. reading these but it's it's interesting because I did start to read the next part of the book and it was it continues on almost immediately so it's almost as though it may as well have been one book rather than three parts of, but I'm guessing because it was, the first one was 410 pages, they needed to cut it somewhere.
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot of Warhammer books out there and uh, I've read a lot of them. But uh, yeah, the Eisenhower books are particularly good. Uh, Dan Abner, you mentioned as the author, is kind of, very well respected uh, because there are many authors that work together on the Warhammer books and uh, he's one of the sort of the top, uh, writers from the, the communities, uh, the fan bases perspective. And he writes very well, I at least I hope you felt that way.
0: Yeah, uh, it, he, it was well written. It, it, it pulled me in, but there were so many things I did feel sometimes like I was coming in halfway through a story because I didn't know the universe.
1: Yeah, and that, that's the thing. You you kind of uh, pick it up um, as you go. But uh, the Eisenhorn books, be- because they're focused on the Inquisition, touch on a lot of things. Uh, Space Marines are a big one. And I think you only really see them briefly in yeah, the first book. You do. Um, and uh, they are a humongous part of the lore. They, they are essentially the reason the lore exists, which is Games Workshop wanted to sell little plastic army men and wrote some stories around it to build out, you know, the fantasy behind it. And that has now evolved into several hundred books of, uh, of fiction, uh, and, you know, countless IP, uh, licenses out to games and potentially even a film as we see. And a
0: TV show on Amazon, apparently.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and they've got, uh, their own, uh, TV streaming service where they stream animations, uh, some of which are very cool. So, um, definitely some good stuff out there. Um, and, um, I'd be interested to see what you make of the whole thing. Uh, because what I like as you basically are reading the intro and starting to understand a little bit about what he does and who he's working with and the remainder of the omnibus explores all of those relationships in turn
0: and it's also the built the building of the world itself because sometimes you can read a book and the world is so unconvincing there's no history there or anything else and when you've got all of the obviously you said that the 30th or the 3 30,000th is very very different to the 40, uh, to the 40k so there is that building of the world the history behind it the religious, the the secular, the government officials, I mean, the whole emperor sounds very Roman because the Roman emperors used to believe they were descended from the gods. So uh, worship yeah. me, I am a descendant of, in that case, well, obviously in the Roman case, it would have been Jupiter.
1: Yeah, so uh, the funny thing is the, ro- the the emperor was kind of the opposite. He said, don't worship me. I'm not a god. In fact, he destroyed an entire city because one of his sons, the Primarchs, uh, began to sort of create it as a place of worship to him, and he turned up and destroyed it with spaceships and made them all kneel in the dirt. But said, then it oh. kind
0: of backfired when he died. Well, a little <laughs> bit.
1: Uh, when his Primarchs, who were essentially created from his genetics, um and then the space marines are then created from theirs in uh, in tens of thousands of superhuman soldiers who shoot rocket-propelled grenades for bullets. Um, and essentially the emperor's uh, reign was the, the golden age of man, or it was supposed to be, and it all just went a bit Pete Tong, and it's sort of a, a tragic thing where in 40K really it's Beyond redemption, and it's it's staving off the inevitable, uh, constant decay of the uh, the imperium of man, which, as you've seen, has devolved into superstition um, and bureaucracy, and uh, you know people are just living to to try and feed this machine. Um, of So it's very
0: much the Middle Ages.
1: Yeah, it, yeah, that's a good point, actually. Uh, so it's uh, it's very much like that. I hadn't thought about that.
0: The superstition, the religion, the rule by the army or the armed forces, very, and the very church. much. Yeah. And <laughs> the, yes, and the church, very much the Middle Ages. It's, it's interesting to see how it's that element of, oh, it's going to come around again because it's that cycle of. And the thing is, we see that in real life with sounds strange cycles in music, fashion, film, even everything comes back around and the same is probably going to happen for religion and culture in general, which is kind of scary. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I mean, in, in a weird way, um, the, the Imperium of man in in the 40,000th universe, uh, a year um is is probably not like an optimistic view of what humanity could be yeah. uh, in that we'd it's survive long enough <laughs> yeah we'd survive long enough to explore the stars but then failed miserably um to uh work together and uh so yeah it's 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 grim dark is the uh the term that's that was coined by them and, uh, and has been used in lots of other settings in that it's all very bleak. It's all very gray and kind of miserable. But within that, you get these little pockets of hope and goodness and, uh, you know, the earnest desire to do the right thing. And it's these kind of stories that pop up and sometimes the tragic failures um, that I really like about
0: it. Are there multiple characters like Eisenhorn. So you have him as the central character for this omnibus and then someone else takes over or does he carry through the story?
1: So actually this series was expanded. Um, There is a character that you meet briefly. Um, There's a big procession um, Whether you've got these titans walking down this big Avenue. I don't know if that was in the first book or not. I'm trying to. And essentially, these there were a bunch of class A psychers who were in containment, and bad things happen. Um, But one of his uh, proteges is severely injured, and he has his own series um, afterwards. So basically, you
0: talking about when they're almost taken to a colosseum to fight for their life against the demons?
1: Man, it's been so long since I read this book. I should have read it again. I was so sure I'd remember all of it.
0: Yeah, there is there is a moment where after he's been captured and tortured, they're all sent into this, basically a colosseum, kind of like the Romans. As we've said many times, it has similarities. And he is, they are fighting for their lives against these demon creatures for entertainment.
1: Ah, no. So this this might have been... This might've been, um, later on. So, um, the, uh, the chap I'm talking about is Gideon Ravenor and this yeah, was he's the, not. Uh, the procession on Thracian, uh, Primaris and, uh, that's a pretty cool bit. There um, have been
0: mentions of Thracian and I think that that's where he was headed.
1: Okay. There we go. Second book then. <laughs> so you'll <laughs> meet uh, the, the, the next the character. Uh, he, he's quite a small character in the Eisenhorn books, um, but uh, he is his interrogator, which is essentially like his kind of apprentice, I guess, Yeah, who's studying to become an inquisitor. And uh, so he, he carries on the story. And then Elizabeth Beckwin um, also has her own series as they well. They have
0: mentioned so- her several times.
1: Yeah, so she's our blank, and uh, so a lot of the characters um, have kind of spin-off bits, and they're all uh, very good. I haven't read the Beckham ones, but the Ravenor ones are very good. And then there are loads and loads of different series that focus on all kinds of sort of pivotal characters in the Imperium, uh, whether that be uh, Space Marine Captains or uh, Ship Captains, uh, Shipmistress, Solara, uh, all of these incredible things. Uh, going on
0: rather than there being a central human or entity the universe is the entity it's the character
1: yeah so you pick out bits within it um the uh the night lords omnibus uh focuses on one of the traitor legions the night lords who are essentially space terrorists um who um, that even when they were the good guys, they were space terrorists. They'd turn up, if you wouldn't join the Imperium, they would skin your children alive in front of you and murder everyone. And then basically the idea was the next guy would definitely join the Imperium rather than resist. <laughs> um, <but laughs> you see what their, happened their story... to them?
0: Are you sure you want to do it? Yeah.
1: So they're, 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 the whole thing was terror tactics, but they, they turned traitor in the 30K uh, universe. And uh, so by now they're very much traitors and their omnibus focus around one particular space marine, his uh, his servant and uh, a navigator that they pick up, um, who is the only psyker able to, to pilot their ship through the warp at that time. So they're kind of scrab- scavenging around um, as one of these scattered traitor warbands. So you get all these little uh, stories that, that pop up and they usually focus around a few characters. Uh, some of them conjured up in thin air. Some of them who've been in the lore for a long time, and you've got the Horus Heresy series, which takes you all the way through the entire Horus Heresy, and that's about fifty books long. Well, that's and all
0: that, based on. That sounds like it's yeah. focused with an element of Egypt, Egyptian mythology.
1: You th- yeah, you'd think so with Horus, <laughs> but yeah. uh, but no, Horus just happens to be um, the the war master, the the favored son of the emperor. And uh, and he's the one that turns traitor and gathers other primarchs around him and wages uh, splits the Imperium of Man in two and essentially opens up uh, humans to the perils of the Warp and uh, and begins this this massive decay. So uh, that's a really cool story and it's just nearly finished. Uh, so that it it finished the Horus Heresy and then they opened up the Siege of Terra series, which is. 10 books long, and so the that final was, that books, are coming books. Out. Yep. <laughs> and uh, the, the Siege of Terror books are, are very awesome, and I think we've got the penultimate one coming this year, and then the uh, final one the year after, and then that's that whole thing done. So th- we'll finally see committed to print some of these events that have been in the lore for, uh, you know, 40 years or more.
0: So, do you play the games as well as?
1: Ah, hell no! No, I, I play the <laughs> I play the video games. Uh, I'm I don't have time to paint miniatures as much as I'd like that, but the the idea of the tabletop game doesn't appeal to me. I don't think you need to be like a basement nerd or or anything like that to enjoy this kind of thing. But but I'm not particularly into uh, into the tabletop. I love the lore and I love video games, so I will. When I see the two connected, I will absolutely get involved there.
0: So it's more the storytelling rather than creating the story for yourself, which is, is, I'm guessing what you do, kind of like Dungeons and Dragons.
1: Yeah, yeah, kind of. Um, I mean, the the tabletop involves a bit of both. You can build your own kind of, you know, lore uh, around those. But um, for me, I, I think I love the scale of the universe. Everything's huge. It's every, you know, it's not tens or hundreds, it's thousands, millions, billions of things at stake. And uh, so when something doesn't work out, it really has huge impact and consequence. And uh, when you see people almost manage to save everything and fail, um, the, the impact of that is so much bigger. That's what I really like. It's really hard hitting where it's like, it's not like, oh, I almost met my love of my life, but I, you know, I didn't tell her and she left. It's like... I almost averted crisis that would have literally, uh, saved mankind, uh, but I didn't. (laughs) And uh, so, you know, the entire fate of man rests on like all these things. And so it's like these huge, huge battles and and all this stuff.
0: Actions have consequences on a larger scale.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, everything is super in it, you know, the, the soldiers are superhuman and, uh, the Primarchs are even more so, and the Emperor is even greater. Uh, so it's
0: so they've evolved. It's humanity evolved to not the next level, but the level after the level after that. Yeah, well,
1: not even evolved really. I mean, they're they're genetically enhanced. Um, so the uh, the Space Marines are children who are put through these uh, awful trials, and the ones that survive literally, <laughs> um, are surgically <laughs> implanted with these extra organs and pump full of hormones and genetic implants and things like that. And then they basically turn into these super soldiers who are then indoctrinated and trained and, um, you know, they're smarter, stronger, bigger, and, um, and then are essentially soldiers of, of man. And, uh, a lot of their stories are quite interesting because they explore this concept of, you know, we're, we we're, we're weapons. And they know that, but then what happens when there's no war and can we be more than just that? And this idea of like, do we care about the people that we're supposed to protect anymore? Uh, some of them do, some of them don't, all these different ideas of what it is to be, are they still So they're
0: sort of like Steve Rogers and Bucky Barnes, super serumed, but more Bucky Barnes than Steve Rogers. Um implanted, might brainwashed kind of ordered to do things because that's what they've been created for.
1: Yeah, sort of uh, so yeah imagine uh, Steve Rogers except there are uh, tens of thousands of them and they're all sent off into space to murder aliens and uh, their culture is all about primacy in warfare and uh, and it's easy for them to forget when they're destroying cultures and uh, annihilating planets. That
0: uh, genocide is simple. Yeah,
1: that uh, that they're still human, or I mean, are they even still human? These I mean, sort of eight-foot super soldiers wearing huge armored plates and stuff. So
0: yeah, there's that question of what is the what is the definition of that is no longer human?
1: Yeah, where's the line? Uh, that's exactly it. And uh, so there's lots of explorations of of that kind of concept. And, uh, you know, people sort of deciding, you know, maybe some of these aliens aren't so bad and we shouldn't murder them all. And other people who think that's heresy and they should be shot for that. <laughs> yeah.
0: But doesn't the, the, isn't the question then raised if we're no longer human, are we not alien? Uh
1: well, that's a good point. Um, I'm sure it's come up in one of the books, you know, where someone says, how far <laughs> are we from the human that, but I think no one would question, uh, that the, the emperor's plan was right. Uh, I think, I think the key thing with, um, with Warhammer to remember is there, there are no good guys. Like everyone is a shade of gray. Um, there are other races that feature heavily in this. Um, I think you might even bump into the Eldar who are basically space elves. Um, they are an ancient race, you know, typical elf stuff. Um, who fell from grace and uh, their society is dying. It's very Lord of the Rings elves, um, but they're very vindictive and sort of superior and holier than thou, um, and some of them...
0: You could argue that the Lord of the Rings elves weren't exactly nice. No,
1: in fact, yeah, they had their own faction uh, differences as well. You've got, um, you know, these, uh, if you want Egyptian, then you've got uh, what are essentially these space skeletons uh, this race of people who traded their humanity to become immortal robots. And uh, they've been around for millions and millions of years, long since humanity, before humanity even evolved. And then they wake up from this self-induced coma and they want to basically get rid of the vermin that are infesting the world. But they also don't like the warps. And so
0: humans are the vermin.
1: They are. Everyone is the vermin. Um, But the one thing they also really don't like is the warp. Cause they don't like uh, demons and things like that messing around with their shit. And, uh, so in a weird way, they become these sort of uncomfortable allies with the, with the humans. (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) it's like, you're the vermin we want to get rid of, but there's something worse.
1: Yeah. You've got the Tyranids who are probably the worst of everything. They're basically, uh, space insects, but they're, uh, they just devour everything, turn it into biomass and make more of themselves. And they are just plowing through the galaxy, eating everything and leaving literally no molecule of organic material left in each planet they pass. And, uh, they're probably the greatest threat, uh, to the Imperium. And you have the orcs who are very much like orcs in, uh, Lord of the Rings, except they, uh, they like big guns and, uh, everything they make is like ramshackle and shit, but they just want a good fight. They're very, they're very kind of funny. They're, they're almost a comic relief. Uh, <laughs> they don't give a shit what's going on as long as they're kicking the shit out of something.
0: <laughs> Lovely. Uh, that's the thing that I think that there's that. I think every single um, fantasy in science fiction pulls on something that came before it. And obviously, uh, Lord of the Rings is much older than Warhammer. So it's going to be it's going to have been influenced to a degree by what came before, whether that's Greek mythology, Roman mythology, Lord of the Rings or anything else.
1: Yeah. I mean, that that's one of the things is you can kind of pick your, uh, you can pick your, uh, your kind of, uh, your, your favorite thing from it and go with it. Uh, so it, you know, if, if you like uh, Egyptian mythology, then you've got uh, you've got the Necrons, the sort of space skeletons I was talking about, who basically turned themselves into mummies yeah. uh, on purpose um, and now regret it immensely. You've got the Orcs who are just sort of out for a good time. They're very funny and kind of not very complicated creatures. You've got humans, if you're into space fascists, who are really could redeem themselves, but just never do Um
0: I love it. I love that. They're the space fascists. Oh, they really are. Are you meant to, are you meant to sympathize or identify with any of them?
1: That's the thing, right? Some of them are good. Um, but as a whole, I mean, they're basically trying to, you know, it's my way or the highway for the entire universe. And. Uh, and especially in forty k, it's it it really is just pure fascism. And, you know, p- propaganda everywhere. and their their iconography, uh, the eagle, and everything like that is sort of Roman, but feels very kind of Nazis yeah. <laughs> uh, Nazi style stuff going on, <laughs>
0: which is that's the thing. Yeah. I mean the eagle was also used as imagery for the Nazi. Regime. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, the point is the Imperium are the closest thing you've got to a good guy because we're the humans. But the point is, it's all about perspective. You know, you, you might identify more with them because you're one of them, but that doesn't make them the good guys at all. And, uh, you know, there's lots of the Eldar who are, who could be considered more good guys, or even the Tau, who are like a new race. They're more like space communists, uh, where it seems like they're all out for good. But there's some weird shady stuff going on They're They're kind of new to, to the universe and all this crazy stuff. So you can really just pick your faction and, uh, and read a shit ton of stuff about them. I really think there's, there's something for everyone in there. There's a smidgen of And romance. does it
0: matter where you start? Uh, it, it depends. Really?
1: I think, like, I like... I generally say people like start with the Eisenhower novels because you, you touch on a little bit of everything throughout the omnibus, you know, yeah. you meet some space marines, you see some Titans, uh, you meet the, the Mechanicus who are like, you know, robot worshippers, um, and, uh, you know, you meet some Eldar, you see, you see a fair bit of stuff and you, you understand the politics and all this other stuff that's going on. And then from there you can branch out. And usually from there, I'll say like, read the Horus Heresy so you understand the whole context of the universe. Um, and then from there it's But like that's a
0: big, big investment, investment if it's 50 books plus another 10 and it's still not finished. If you don't
1: like the first couple of books, then, uh, then you're probably, you know, you're, you done, but if trust me, <laughs> In the wrong place. I started reading them and then I just never stopped. I haven't had time for other books. so I really need to, to branch <laughs> out. <laughs>
0: It, that's the thing though once you find something you like I mean I'm th- I am the same if I find a genre I like, I will devour the back catalog because I get so absorbed in the writing, the storyline, the concept that I can't see beyond it yeah and I force myself off that path otherwise I'd never read anything else
1: well that that is a danger with Warhammer. Yeah, if you finished a book and, you know, or a trilogy or whatever, like I really loved, um, there's this series of books that started called The Prince of Thorns, a uh, real kind of anti-hero, post-apocalyptic kind of thing. And I just loved this, this main character so much. And when I finished the trilogy, I was gutted because I was like, that's it. Uh, and I think a lot of people who love books know that feeling. And the thing I love about Warhammer, I never get that feeling. There's, st- I've still got, you know, hundred plus books that I could read. There's more coming. Um, th- they're, they're coming out faster than I can, I can catch up with them. Um, and so like, I, I love that there's n- not really a way for me to run out of this world that I love. There are certainly genres of it that I get bored of, but I can switch, you know, if I'm sick of yeah. what is often referred to as bolter porn, just like space marine battle stuff. Yeah, it's not, it's okay. not actual porn. It's just like, it's just like.
0: <laughs> I was, for a moment, I was thinking, my mind was going, do I really want to know which direction this goes?
1: <laughs> no, I, when people say bolter porn, what they mean is kind of gratuitous, glorifying space Marine guys, you know, having cool battles, like eventually that can get a bit old. And, uh, and that's when I switch over to something a little bit more cerebral that's more about, you know, politicking and things like that in the Inquisition. Or, uh, you know, something more nuanced, or I switch to a completely different race who've got a totally different perspective on the world, different culture, different background and everything that goes with that. Um, you know, so you, you can mix it up without ever leaving the universe and that makes it quite hard to, to want to read something else.
0: And to leave the universe. So what made you... Because everybody has that starting point. You said that the Eisenhorn omnibus was the first books that you read of the series, what made you pick them up in the first place?
1: Um, so I'd, I'd encountered some of the art and, uh, and a colleague of mine when I was at university was reading these books, uh, when we worked at a Curry's together. And I was just like, oh, you know, I was looking for something to read. I didn't really know what to pick up. And I was like, nah, that sounds kind of cool, space sci-fi. And, you know, it's very violent and grim and dark. I, d- I don't like things that have a happy ending because it always feels like a cop out to me. Uh, not everything has to be a bad, sad ending or whatever. But no. but it always feels like, like it's almost patronizing, you know, because life often works out in the gray area. You know, it doesn't always work out. Roses. Um, it's usually there's some kind of compromise. Maybe something works out, but not everything. And uh, and I was yeah. of you want, the, of if you
0: want the happy ending, read a romance. Yeah, that's what I do when I need. When I need, I've had a bad day, and I need a happy ending. It's immediately go to pick up something off the bookcase that is a romance because I'm not going to be sitting at the end of the day going, "Oh God, life sucks."
1: Yeah. I mean that's the thing. Happy endings don't make me feel much because they just feel like, ugh. You see them everywhere. Like, you know, I think I think films, especially, they need to be brave to end on a on a down note. I remember feeling that way with um, Avengers: Infinity War. You know, the snap at the end, yeah. fifty percent. I thought that was a great way to end it. And The only thing that pissed me off was I knew they'd turn it around. Everyone would come back eventually, and I thought, man, that was a, that would have been such a poignant moment, except for that. And that's what I really like. It's like when when things don't go well, they hit you harder because it feels more real than, uh, than everything Turning Up Roses. And you're like,
0: yeah. But then, spoiler alert, you still lose people at the end of Endgame. And it was the one person, I'd have been fine, I think, with losing quite a large number of the characters. But you lost the one that started it all. And it was like, but I didn't want that one to die. I actually, when I went to the cinema and saw it, no joke, there was a girl behind me scream crying as they showed his funeral. It was like, oh my God, no, please show some dignity. They, they Leave the that. room.
1: They milked that. But you know what? That that was a good moment. But I also thought that they could have stopped uh, at the end of that. And that would have been like a real gut punch uh, for people to be like, holy shit, they just killed half the characters off. Like that would have been serious business. So I mean like i I don't think what they did was wrong, but you know, I like films that end like that that surprise you. I think that's why Game of Thrones was really popular was because when the red wedding hit, people were like, "Holy shit, they just killed the main character uh or what they thought was the main character and i I love things that surprise you like that, you know where where you just don't but know. they
0: did they did that with Blackadder goes forth, yeah. They ended that as they were going over...
1: Over the the top. Over the... Yeah. Yeah. That's
0: how they ended it. So there was that, are they going to survive? Are they not? And there was nothing afterwards.
1: Yeah. And I love that. You know, so that's why I like, they could have all gone home and somehow got off the line and that would have felt like a cop out. And that's, that's what I mean. I like, uh, I like the Warhammer universe because it never does that to you. Like sometimes the people you like will win, um, but it's always with with losses, with compromise and stuff like that. Um, and you never know, like, you know, it's always a small victory against impossible odds elsewhere. It's just one small battle and a huge war.
0: But then there's also that because there is such an incredibly large world they've got, when that finishes, it's not a case of we've lost as it would have been with Avengers or we've lost our moneymaker.
1: Yeah, well, exactly. And I think
0: that is a lot, that is big drive for that kind of thing. If you've got everything to lose when it comes to the bank balance, you are going to look for the easy way to fix it so that you can still make the films. Whereas with the the Warhammer books, they've got so many different paths to go down. They're never going to run out of anything.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, there are some heavy hitters. So um, a lot of the Primarchs uh, who are kind of, really the closest thing you get to main characters uh in the whole thing if if you read the horus heresy it's all about the primarchs they've all got very different personalities and legions they're
0: the emperor's sons right? yes his, well his the, genetic his
1: genetic creations that he refers to yeah. as his sons and they call him his father they've got lots of daddy issues uh, they're <laughs> all really cool characters you've got like the khan who's essentially a sort of mongolian warlord and you know, they, they all are influenced very differently. And so they're, they're like main characters and a lot of them died, turned traitor and turned into demons or, um, or, or disappeared often, you know, in search of so-and-so and, and never to be seen again or whatever. And they've brought a couple of them back. Uh, and that's pretty big cause you can only do that once. Uh, so, uh, so they're kind of, <laughs> That's how they're turning it up to 11. One of the Primarchs was fatally wounded but held in stasis for 10,000 years. And with the help of some Eldar, which is very unheard of for the Imperium to work with the Eldar, um, they bring him back. And he's now running the Imperium of Man in current day lore. Um, and that's pretty, like, that's huge news. You know, oh my God, a, a Primarch is finally back because all the Primarchs disappeared for 40k. There's none of them in the Eisenhorn books, but if you read the books that are coming out today, then there are Primarchs, at, or one of them. And there's lots of sort of other uh, things like will they bring back another Primarch? So, yeah, they've got tons of ways that they can bring out new stuff. Um, and of course, that makes the money because then they can release new models for it that they can sell. It's all tied in with that new IP that they can yeah. license. So, from a commercial perspective, there's a lot. Uh, going on there.
0: That was one of the things I, I mentioned to Lorraine was they've opened a Warhammer store in my local town and I noticed it, I'd never seen it before. and I, w- I went into town a couple of weeks ago and I passed it and it was open. And what I could think was, isn't that the books? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's it. You, so the only time I'll ever cross their threshold is, is to see if they've got any of the new books because, you know, they're less likely to be in WH Smiths or anywhere else that you might shop. Um, but, you know, yeah, they're, there's a lot of stereotypical nerds hanging out in there. Um, oh, yeah. But you never know, you might meet Henry Cavill uh, picking up the latest box set, you know, uh, uh figurines. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, because he's a massive fan of Warhammer, isn't he? Yeah,
1: he, he is. Um, and very publicly so. Uh, one of the few kind of celebrity advocates out there. Vin Diesel is another one. Um, there's a lot of people that grew up uh, playing Warhammer and uh, their whole marketing strategy is to hook kids and then those kids come back 30 years later with money and uh, and then start plowing it into the hobby. Um, that yeah, is, nostalgia. Yeah, they're not looking to get kids into the the hobby to try and get them to start spending money. They want to get the kids in so they come back later. They're very much a long game business.
0: Which is why the books are, I suppose, so valuable because the books can maintain the interest while the, they're building their bank balances. Yeah. That sounds so cynical. Well,
1: you know, honestly, it, it is a business. Um, I love the universe they created. And actually, I mean, there's a lot of business practices that people would disagree with the Games Workshop, but goddamn, they make some good books. <laughs> I like the art as well. Uh, and what's interesting is I like some of their stances on things. Uh, like the the things I like a lot about the Warhammer universe, there's not a whole lot of romance. Um, what there is there is more about the connection between people and less about kind of love. Um, and women are not sort of scantily clad, barely covered their boobs armor uh, figures. They are badasses. Uh, Lotara Sarin is a good example of that, who basically stood up to one of the Primarchs and murders worlds. And she's like violent. The Sisters of Battle, who are basically nuns with guns, um, are pretty <laughs> rad. Um, so you get these like really cool, strong female characters. And I think... Anytime you hear like strong female character, you feel like that's code for kind of a bitch. Um, you know, rubs people the wrong way and stuff. And I think Warhammer actually does. It's a, a stereotype. It, it is, and I I hate it in film. Um, like I think there are amazing strong female characters, and they should be strong because of what they do, not because you say that they're strong. Uh, so like uh, Linda Hamilton in Terminator, uh, Sigourney Weaver in Alien classic awesome female uh, leads and I think Warhammer actually writes some really good female characters that are strong for their own right and dangerous and rad and it has nothing to do with them being women they're just awesome characters they just happen to be women and that is the my favorite kind of representation of women in uh
0: material That is a a good representation of women because there is always going to be, as we've said, the stereotype of, oh, she's strong, therefore she's emotionless, heartless, and nobody will ever like her as a person. Whereas you have got, as you said, Sigourney Weaver, Lyndall Hamilton, and there have been loads of strong female characters who've been portrayed really well. And then there are others that are that stereotype of, oh, which boy am I going to choose?
1: Yeah. Exactly. Don't even get me started. I'm such a strong woman, except for this man who finally swept me off my feet. Ugh! Don't make me sick. Uh,
0: yeah, precisely. Which is exactly what the more it sounds bad, the more modern YA female character has been cre- has been designed to be. Because you look at the Hunger Games and Twilight and all that. I'm not denigrating them. They are well-written to a degree, but the characterization is so stereotyping.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that, like, Hollywood just can't resist making sure that they've got, like, very good-looking cosmetic battle damage if they're in a kind of fight scene, you know, Captain Marvel uh, kind of shit. And, uh, you know, they always have to look pretty while they're being badasses and stuff. And I think, you know, actually uh, being a badass is messy uh, for a lot of things. And, uh, and you know, yeah. if you treat women, female characters differently, then you're doing it wrong. Uh, you know, you should be allowed to get ugly.
0: But they don't, it doesn't, pretty sells, apparently. Uh, yeah, it does, but it's boring.
1: <laughs> I think, uh, I think more people would realize that. Um, but yeah, again, I think Warhammer universe does a good job of that. And older characters as well. Like, you know, uh, some of the characters are hundreds of years old. You get some. Uh, old ladies who are kind of like generals and things like that, who are pretty badass, cowing the space. It's brains. that whole
0: experience thing though, isn't it? If you value the experience, whereas, oh, they've just joined, but their dad was such and such. So they are in charge, but they've got no clue. Whereas you've got the experience behind them and you get that from Eisenhorn. I didn't get the, I, the impression that he was young.
1: No, he's not. Uh, So the Inquisition are privileged. I mean, they've got a huge amount of wealth backing them since they basically can do whatever they want. And um, they have, you you might hear occasionally, juvenile treatments referred to in the book. And they're essentially plastic surgery, but like for the whole body, (laughs) not just, you know, the (laughs) exterior. Uh, So uh, I think by the end of some of the books... Uh, You know, they're all looking pretty good, even though they're, you know, passing 300 years old or whatever, 200 years old. Uh, And that's because of that. Uh, And some people kind of go overboard, some don't. So they can kind of extend their lives. Um, But yeah, Eisenhower has been around the block all right.
0: Yeah, I got that impression that he was probably what you'd say, I suppose, he's a Sam Spade rather than. A, a bright young thing,
1: oh yeah, yeah no he's uh, and, and you know he's got a really good character arc actually he starts out pretty hard line and uh and the the fine line for an inquisitor is often you, you in sort of other lore as well you hear about radicals and sort of more conservative inquisitors the more conservative ones are like, nope, these are the rules i'm going to enforce the shit out of them and uh and we'll they're often sort of uh, looking at each other to see who's who's straying too close to the sun. And then you get the other ones who are like, yep, I am going to get a demon and harness it and use that to kill other demons. And other Inquisitors might take umbrage with that. <laughs> uh, and-
0: but that's kind of what he, he's... You do get the feeling he skates a little bit close to the sun with the way that he does things, but he gets them done. And maybe that's why people are a bit more intimidated yeah, by him.
1: Yeah, And that, that would be his justification. Um and so you you'll see, you know, if, if you do carry on reading it, you'll see him uh pass through various uh, you know, character arcs. They they added a fourth book onto the trilogy, uh, where he's kind of an old dude, um uh, and he's properly fucked <laughs> up by then. Um, <laughs> uh, but like uh there's yeah, he's he's a badass character who uh doesn't fuck about, and yeah, yeah, a Sam Spade that's a good example, good analogy
0: well he was a he was a detective that never followed the rules, but he always got the stuff done at the end of it,
1: yeah, yeah, he's not quite a radical, there's some of them that go a little too too far um but uh yeah, he tries to to tow the line without uh without necessarily crossing it,
0: which isn't a bad thing when you're trying to get. Stuff accomplished in any way. With the announcement about Henry Cavill, though, who, which story arc do you want them to tell, and who do you think he'd play?
1: Now that is hotly debated across <laughs> many Reddit uh, forums, and so
0: I've seen it's been hot. The ice. I was looking it up today because, as I said, I got a message from my friend at probably. 3.30 saying oh Henry Cavill's already got a new job
1: <laughs> yeah so that I mean long before this announcement people have sort of said you know what character would you, you you know what actor would you cast as these characters you know who would play each of the Primarchs and you know and obviously when Henry Cavill announced that he was into Warhammer people were could he be the Emperor and things like that uh, it, it's a toughie yeah uh, I mean, he plays custodies, uh, custodies. So I'd be kind of interested to see him play like one of the uh, the sort of more senior custodies. They're essentially the emperor's bodyguard. They're like space marines, but you know, instead of mass produced, they're kind of more uh, handmade, unique, and uh, so they're all a bit special. Um, and I think he'd be a good character there. But I mean, there's a lot of roles he could fit into. There's a lot of kind of like hench you know, serious faced dudes in the Warhammer universe that he could fit into. He could be an inquisitor or whatever.
0: But which story arc would you like to see told, given you've read so many of them? Which one would you like to see Amazon go, right, we're going to spend millions on this, kind of like they did with the Wheel of Time, and this is what we're doing?
1: Uh, uh, It's a killer
0: question. I love doing those.
1: (laughs) It is a tough one. Um, honestly, I, I mean, like if I, if I thought like they could pull it off, like the Horus Heresy would be the ultimate one, uh, because it's like such a cool story. Um, like people just wouldn't see it coming, Um, and then, you know, the, just watching everything go, go wrong and the, the stories, but it would be too big, too, too big for, for a film. Yeah.
0: That one's if it's 50 books, they'd have to cut so much out to make it. I mean, there's palatable a, for the masses. There's a
1: lot you could cut out and condense, but, uh, you know, there's lots of small, like that you get these like compendiums. They're like little, like groups of short stories. Some of them, some of which are yeah. read, but are completely unnecessary to the whole story arc. Um, but no, realistically something like the Eisenhorn series would be a really good fit for a TV show, I think. Um, but you'd need to find a way to contextualize the whole universe that quickly. That's difficult. Mm. Um, I mean, the, the, the opening pages uh, of all of the Warhammer books in the in 40k at least have that same opening about, uh, you know, the setting the scene for Warhammer, you know, where everything yeah. is war and uh, and the laughter of thirsting gods and stuff like that. I, that's not a bad way to set it. But uh, I think like that would be a, a pretty cool one because you I can see like a few set pieces in the the series but a lot of it you could do with the sort of technology we have today uh without it being like actually impossible to do but realistically like some kind of cool space marine battle that would be cool give me some space marines there's um there's a very cool series that uh that games workshop kind of nicked uh, a youtuber this one dude uh animated and did the sound design for everything. This project called Astartes, who are the Space Marines and Games Workshop basically roped him into their, uh, animation projects. And for anyone who's interested, Warhammer plus their series has it on there and is an incredible example of what, um, what it could look like. So that it's, it's not like there's no one has done this before. Um, there's plenty of people who could make incredible stuff, but it fits CGI better than live action, I think. But when you've got human characters, then it starts to make more sense.
0: Yeah. And that, I think that's the thing with that kind of project, if they really want to capture the attention of people who aren't necessarily familiar with the IP or know it in any way, they need to go for a big name and an, a story arc that's going to capture their imagination, I suppose.
1: Yeah, exactly. Hence having
0: to do it as live action rather than CGI.
1: Yeah. I think like if you were really going to do it, like CGI wouldn't be a bad way to go. Um, but it would be super expensive. And uh, I mean, it's pretty incredible. I think one dude made this the stuff that I'm talking about. It's like 20 minutes long tops, but uh, like one guy just made it on his own, did all the sound design and it's like top level of quality like you if it came out of Hollywood you'd be like yep that sounds about right um but yeah I think st- start with something more relatable and then build into it sort of like you start with Tony Stark and then you have the Marvel Universe kind of falls out of that
0: that that remains my favorite even though they've had all the others that is still my favorite of the films because it is well partially because it's the start and partially because you see him develop from a spoiled brat into somebody who actually cares.
1: Yeah. He's got a good story. It's not too much to absorb in one go. That's always my concern when people start talking about like Warhammer stuff is like, and it was the same with the Witcher. You know, you had these, these wonderful books that were turned into games that then they turned into a TV series and, Uh, kind of, I don't know, I feel like it missed the mark because there's so much context that they miss, like there's so much politics in The Witcher and when they came out of that series they just kind of, they hinted at it, they got mired down in it in places it didn't need to be and then they missed it for parts where they should have I feel like it.
0: Well, wasn't that one of the issues that Cavill had with it?
1: Well, shit, I don't know Um, but I I (laughs) didn't read any of his interviews on like why he ain't The Witcher anymore but uh, certainly I think, uh, this it's the same with any beloved franchise. As soon as you try and make something cool out of it, there's always diehard fans who could say, this isn't exactly how I imagined it from when I read the books, <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah. That person doesn't look exactly like the character have to be honest. I did that with Harry Potter.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I did
0: that exactly when they cast the girl playing Luna Lovegood it was like, no, that's not, that's not Luna. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Game of Thrones was the same for me. I thought uh, Rob Stark was too much of a kind of poncy, You know, didn't, didn't fit the the bill for me. I uh, I mean they had some some good casting, but say, same thing. I I think you have to go into these things with an open mind. So fingers crossed. Uh, it does actually make it into production, and they do a good job of it. I'd love to see more people uh, appreciate uh, a sort of set of lore that I really enjoy
0: and taking it more mainstream without ruining the original intent of the story
1: precisely i think they need to keep it really brutal really grim dark i mean that that is the whole thing with warhammer if they try and try and polish it up and put happy endings on things that shouldn't have had them um, then they've they've totally missed the point of why people like it
0: i think that's always the risk when something becomes popular or is made popular, there's always that risk that you are going to end up with a property that doesn't resemble the original.
1: Yeah, precisely. You need some kind of guardian, uh, games workshop, uh, some of their licensing has been very careful. Other times it seems like they'll just whore it out to anyone. And so, uh, I think they would care. They hadn't quite finalized it. The fact that they're talking about it means they must be close. Exactly. I think uh, I think that's pretty wise. The fact that they're talking about it, that they're in negotiations about it is positive news for me as far as I'm concerned. But um, I think the Warhammer fans have been burnt before. Uh, there was going to be... Uh, in fact, who was it? Um, oh, it's going to drive me mad. I couldn't remember his name when I was trying to tell Lorraine, but there was a guy who voiced Eisenhorn and they they were going to come out with an Eisenhorn TV series. And, uh, and it never happened. And so this is why I was. Were
0: they going to make him a gumshoe? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm trying to remember, um, who the hell was it?
1: Um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll remember at three in the morning when, uh, when I've gone to sleep. Yeah. It was that's a always the way. <laughs> yeah.
0: The funny thing is I searched for Eisenhorn and it actually came up with Eisenhorn TV series
1: yep exactly uh so there there is uh there (laughs) there was supposed to be that um i don't think it ever made it so ah mark strong mark strong voiced eisenhorn in a game series uh yeah mark strong has been in loads of stuff uh yeah he was
0: in it's driving it's gonna drive me nuts he normally plays the bad guy that's it but he normally plays the gag bad guy in most things yeah uh
1: which is why he's a good fit for the warhammer universe (laughs) <laughs> but yeah he, he's been in lots of stuff um and done lots of uh of uh you know voice work in games as well but um you know there was a lot of people that thought maybe he would play him in the tv series as well because he already was familiar with it um and yeah he's been in sort of spy things like tinker taylor soldier spy and uh kingsman and so on so i think he kind of fits that kind of thing He also voiced a much beloved character in uh, a very popular uh, video game from 2011 called Space Marine, which has a sequel coming out this year that is hotly anticipated because it actually captures what Space Marine stuff is about, which is one versus, you know, one versus a hundred kind of odds and uh, just tearing things in half.
0: That sounds like the sort of game you need to play over Christmas. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh yeah for sure uh <laughs> but no uh I'll, I'll be playing that this coming year that's for sure um but yeah i'm um, still
0: working my way through assassin's creed odyssey <laughs> all
1: right well yeah i will definitely send you some videos to try and help you contextualize the universe a little bit yeah. and uh th- hopefully that will spur you to, to read the rest of the eisenhorn books
0: yeah, because I wasn't familiar with it. I know that when I first started it, my brain was, um, "What's happening? I'm confused. Who are these people?" Because obviously the universe hadn't been built. But the more I read in there, as I said, I gathered the the religious context, the secularity, the the politics, and everything else. I started to it started to feed in the more the further I got into the book it didn't start off being clear, but it did start to get, there was more clarity as I finished it.
1: Yeah. I think that, um, any of the books, like no, none of the books are going to start you off and be like, okay, let me explain all of the context. Uh, you have to, uh, you have to kind of start somewhere. And, uh, so it just take, takes you in. And you start to pick things up from context. And then before you know it, you're away. And I like the Eisenhorn books because you encounter all these things and they're new to you. And uh, because they're from the perspective of a person, they're all quite, you know, big and scary and impactful. Whereas when you read them in the Horus Heresy, they're often from the perspective of a space marine to whom things are a lot less scary. Um, So it's, you know, it kind of gives you a bit more of a kind of shock and awe experience when you deal with some of the bigger things in the universe like Titans and uh and Space Marines.
0: Which is good. So would you say that this is the book for people who aren't familiar with it to start with because you started with so. it or because it is the best book? N- not because
1: I started with it. Um, it, it is often recommended as the starting place by other readers of the Warhammer books because it touches on a lot of elements in the universe. Um, so I do recommend it from that perspective. And then if you like the universe, then, you know, kick off with the, the Horus Heresy and, and start really getting stuck into understanding everything and who everyone is. And And before you know it, you'll be 50 books deep. Um, but yeah, (laughs) I think it's like a good taster. It's three books, you know, most people can handle that. And if you find yourself wanting more, um, then either get stuck into the Horus Heresy, if you want to get into the world of space marine stuff, or, um, if you like more of that, then you can start off on the Ravenor series or the Beckwin series, depending on, you know, who your favorite character
0: was. So it's a good taster yeah. rather than here's an entire universe get stuck in and don't feel intimidated. Yeah. It's a small
1: window into it and you kind of touch on a lot of elements so you can, you can see, okay, that was kind of cool. I liked that. If you're like, holy shit, Titans are amazing. I I like the idea of hundred meter tall walking battle robots, then okay. Maybe reading the Mechanicum books is cool and you should totally pick up on that. If you like all the politics and shit, read more Inquisition books. If you think Space Marines are really rad and you liked the fighting scenes, go read some Space Marine shit. Uh, so you can Is there a
0: for guide that. for all of this? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. There's like wikis and uh, forums and subreddits and, you know, galore. You, you can't really go far on the internet without finding a Warhammer community uh, that will point you in the right direction. In that case,
0: I will post a link. <laughs> I'll post a link to one below because <laughs> I think I should have probably looked at it.
1: Yeah, I can uh, send you a, a link to the wiki.
0: That'd be really helpful. It was an interesting book, though. It's very, very different to anything I've read. I've, As I said, I read uh, Brendan Sanderson um, from his Cytonic series earlier this year. And I don't tend to touch my toe very often into science fiction. I tend to steer more on the fantasy sci-fi side of things and far more the comedy side fantasy sci-fi of th- side of things
1: yeah uh, the only other the only other recommendation I might give to your listeners if you want something that feels a little bit less sci-fi um is the Gaunt's Ghost series also written by Dan Abnett um it's much more World War II kind of uh, feel to it you follow uh, a, a company of um of guard commandos um and uh, their exploits as they get shuttled around in the meat grinder of the 40k uh war fronts and uh, that's a really cool book really well written it I, actually it's like seven or eight books long but um <laughs> but yeah that's uh, that's another really good one that's like got some of my favorite stuff some of the great characters in that
0: that's always a thing though, isn't it? You're going, there is always a risk when you get into a universe that there are multiple books in a single series that will explain a a specific point in time, especially if it's, you're talking about thousands of years. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, it goes back to what I was saying before, like, no matter what you like to read, like there's probably an element of it in the Warhammer universe. So like you can find your niche. Uh, A lot of people love the guard because they're all human characters with all the same human frailties and feelings. And they're really relatable characters in quite relatable situations. You know, uh, they're, they're all digging trenches and, you know, uh, up against pretty bad odds. (laughs) So, uh, you know, some of the things I described earlier, they're out there fighting them, just dudes with laser pistols and stuff. But Uh, so yeah, there's lots of good starting places, uh, probably Eisenhorn or Gaunt's Ghosts if you kind of want something a little bit more, uh, you know, army sort of feel to it.
0: And then of course you've got all the fantasy characters that go in there with the orcs and the elves and everything else, which is great.
1: There is also a Warhammer fantasy universe. (laughs) It's not to throw that (laughs) into the mix. So if, if you like, you know, kind of more fantasy elves or like, you know, magic and, and things like that, then, uh, the Warhammer fantasy universe exists. Then you've got your dwarves and all that kind of stuff that you'd expect to see there. Um, I haven't read much of that, but I hear it's very good. I'm, I'm more at the grim dark, you know, I, I like the, yeah. the, the gray desolate world that, uh, uh that the Warhammer 40k universe paints.
0: That's not a bad thing. Everybody has their niche, I suppose. But thank you ever so much. It's actually given me a really good insight into the books and what I can see in them that obviously only reading one part of it hasn't given me the full expanse of the universe and how it develops. So that's been really, really helpful. And it's hopefully going to get more people to go, oh, I'd never heard of those books, which is kind of where I was a few weeks ago.
1: All right. Cool. Well, uh, thank you for, for having me on. Um, it's been a pleasure. Nobody ever asked me to talk about Warhammer because they know what will happen when I start. So apologies for anyone. Uh, but, uh, hopefully you'll give it a crack and then you'll be boring people about Warhammer in no time.
0: There you go. It's books. What more can we say? (laughs) Just go out and pick up one trilogy. It's not a case of go up and pick up one book. It's one trilogy. But thanks ever so much for sharing because it's always good to hear from someone who loves the universe they're talking about.
1: Well, that I do.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Dev.
1: All right. Thanks very much, Ray.
0: Bye. Bye. Well, that's it for this week. And actually, that's it for 2022. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family? And please post a star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or on any of the other podcatchers you might use. You can follow me on Twitter at being underscore bookish and on Instagram at being pod where I post a lot of images of the books I'm reading and my bookcase as it stands. Or you can check out my website beingbookish.co.uk I'll be back with a review of 2022 on the 2nd of January. So however you celebrate or whatever you're doing, have a wonderful week and I'll see you in 2023. So until next time, this is me saying farewell.